Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I've always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. Hello, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn, and welcome to another episode of the Clyburn Chronicles. Throughout our country's history, Black communities have often been excluded from our country's economic story. Most Black Americans were enslaved during the agricultural and industrial revolution. And after the abolition of slavery, Jim Crow laws and racial segregation prevented Black Americans from fully exercising their rights and moving up the economic ladder. But today, in the 21st century, another revolution, the technological revolution, is just starting another era of economic growth that has the potential to uplift historically disadvantaged minority communities. Without deliberate action and thoughtful public policy, we run the risk of these communities being left behind again. And we can't let that happen. A few weeks ago, at an EPIT at Benedict College, I was joined by a good friend who is focused on making sure we don't repeat these same mistakes. Now, this was not a one-off because Last year, the same good friend joined me down at Afflin University uh, for a similar incident. Two historical black colleges in my congressional district. And of course, he is involved uh, with historical black college in Mississippi, Jackson State, uh, and other minority serving institutions and still other community colleges across the country. This friend is Congressman Roe Connor. Roe Connor uh, represents California's 17th district, which encompasses the epicenter of our nation's technological revolution, Silicon Valley. He is a ranking member of the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Cyber, Innovative Technologies and Information Systems, and he is a member of the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. He's also a member of the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party, which focuses on the United States economic and security competition with the Chinese Communist Party. Congressman 
Pana and I also worked together on the House Rural Broadband Task Force to crop, uh, craft a comprehensive proposal to make high-speed broadband both accessible and affordable for all. The principles of this proposal were carried over into the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is now working to connect every single American to high-speed internet access. Congressman Carter understands better than anyone else the way technology is shaping our economy. He is committed to making sure that everyone, no matter their skin color or where they come from, can take part in this next chapter of America, American innovation. Prior to serving in Congress, he taught economics at Stanford University and served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Commerce in the Obama administration. Thank you, Ro Connor, for joining me today. Thank you for your friendship over the years. And I will turn it over to you now uh, to fill in the blanks uh, of your introduction, which I may have left out. Well, Leader Clyburn, that was quite uh, an honor. And since it's your program, I'm not going to go into all of your life uh, story, uh, which would be uh, much more worthy. But I would say this, uh, that which I, the same thing I said at uh, your district, uh, that uh, you're an icon to so many people in my generation uh, because the work you have done, even well before you got to Congress, uh, the civil rights work that led to the uh, 1965 Immigration Reform Act allowed so many families uh, like my parents to come to America. Uh, but what I admire when I was down there uh, is you're not uh, simply a leader who remembers history in the past. You're going to be writing a book about the uh, eight uh, African-Americans in South Carolina who came before you, the history supporter but you're also someone who looks to the future and you understand that uh, young people in your district and around the country need to have economic opportunity. For me, it was simple. I, I'm in a district that has Apple, Google, Intel, Yahoo, Tesla, uh, $10 trillion of wealth. When uh, I do town halls and I say, are people optimistic about America? All the hands go up. And uh, I was walking even well before I was in Congress, the halls of some of these companies. And you know, you don't see candidly uh, many uh, black people in senior roles. You don't see Latinos in senior roles. You don't see people from middle America in senior roles. And this is gonna be not just the future economic activity. This is gonna be the people who are deciding social media and the rules for it, AI and uh, future technology. And so I, reached out to you and uh, to your daughter, Jennifer, and we all collaborated uh, in getting this program started at Benedict, uh, which uh, really has been a success. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Google uh, team with TechWise has given a $5,000 scholarship to some of the students. They've gotten 18 months of training, 10 hours a, a week, and many of the students that we both met now have uh, good-paying jobs, good-paying internships. So it was wonderful to meet the students there. 
Well, thank you so much for that. Those students were absolutely fantastic. Uh, I sat there along with you marveling at, at how much uh, this program uh, has meant to them. It's continued to me. Uh, this young lady who's going off to well, study physics, I'm saying to myself, uh, I, I don't need to be sitting there in her company. Uh, and these are uh, the things that can happen uh, when opportunities are provided to these young people on these uh, campuses of these HBCUs. They come from communities uh, that in many instances uh, have been intentionally underfunded when it comes to healthcare and education. Uh, and they get to these HBCUs and they do the rem remediation that's necessary and then they get support uh, from people like yourself and they turn out to be fantastic students and will go on up sure, to make significant contributions uh, to uh, the future of this great country. Uh, now, I just want to, uh, you as a leading voice um, uh, on business and economic issues within uh, the Democratic Party, and uh, you recently wrote that our nation needs a new economic patriotism, uh, an interesting term. Uh, can you explain uh, to our listeners uh, what you mean by that? Well, I think uh, what I mean is some of the things that President Biden has been doing. I mean, you look at what happened to this country for 40 years, and we had so much of our manufacturing leave this country, uh, not just in the Midwest, but uh, in the South. And this has hurt working class Americans of all races. It's hurt the white working class in the middle of the country. It's hurt uh, black Americans. We don't make enough things in America anymore. I mean, we didn't make masks. We didn't make the semiconductors that go into our cars. Uh, we didn't make enough Tylenol, enough baby formula. So I said, let's figure out how do we rebuild, revitalize the economy of places. And we just have to look at uh, our past. Uh, Hamilton and FDR uh, had a vision where they had the private sector, private businesses, getting support from labor, getting support from educational institutions, and having federal financing for critical factories. And I said, we've got to do that now in a modern sense to rebuild America, but I call it new because, as you know, some of the previous ones were not uh, inclusive of all of our talent, of all of our people. Now we need to build uh, with everyone uh, helping, and I think that's something that all Americans can, can get behind. Absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I just want to say that some of my listeners uh, will be uh, very familiar with this. You talked about all these industries that uh, are, are leaving the Midwest and the South. People are looking at what's coming now, and some of them uh, may not be aware. Uh, back when I first got elected to Congress, back in 1992, uh, over in the PD area, uh, in the little town of Hemingway, uh, Wellman Industries uh, employed uh, uh, three to 4,000 people. It's now gone. Um, Tupperware uh, uh, was over in that same area. It's now gone. And, uh, and recently, uh, we've heard about Volvo coming to South Carolina. Uh, 
uh, Volkswagen bringing the Scout is going to be, uh, they've just announced that they're going to make that new uh, SUV in South Carolina. All of the colors, but not Volvo, he was here before uh, we came up with this, but but for the Chips and Science Act, that you've had so much to do with helping to develop. The Chips and Science Act that President Biden pushed for, got Congress to pass, now signed into law, all this is coming back. These manufacturing jobs coming back to America. Uh, and that is economic patriotism. And I just want you to explain it uh, and I'll uh, localize it. You tell us what it is and I'll localize it. <laughs> and the president really did enough credit for this. Look, for 40 years, no one has really focused on bringing these manufacturing jobs back. We just watched. The jobs went to China. The jobs went down south. Uh, we said, oh, why does manufacturing matter? And a lot of these communities got uh, desolated. And I think this president uh, uh, has said, no, I'm going to bring manufacturing back. And with your leadership in the Congress uh, last time, we passed uh, the Chips and Sides Act that I helped go right to get semiconductors. We passed the infrastructure bill that is helping bring uh, many construction jobs, many manufacturing jobs uh, back, making things in America. We miss the IRA. And, you know, I know it's a complicated name, but all the IRA is saying is we want to make the batteries here, not in China. We want to make the solar panels here, not in China. So I, I, I am so proud that this president is turning the Titanic. Uh, now, people say, why, why isn't everything improved? I said, for 40 years, uh, we've been sending the jobs offshore. You can't expect in two years he's going to work miracles, but he's changed the direction to bring manufacturing back in this country. That's exactly right. Uh, as you said, turning the Titanic around won't be done in one fell swoop. we got to uh, keep at it. And I'm really, really appreciative of all the work you've done. Now, you mentioned Benedict and the program uh, that we call uh, TechWise. Uh, but now... Uh, some of my listeners uh, may not really understand exactly how this thing uh, is working for these students at Benedict. Uh, you want to tell uh, my listeners exactly how this thing works. Now, I think there are two tranches of students, if I remember, remember correctly. Uh, the number is up around uh, 50 or 60 students. will make all the difference in the world. Uh, how about tell us exactly what TechWise is? Now it works. Of course. So if you're a student at one of these schools, at Benedict College is one of the schools that was selected. There are eight colleges around the country, HBCUs, Hispanic Serving Institutes, and some other community colleges in rural America. If you're one of the students selected, you first get a $5,000 stipend. Why is that important? Uh, because these students uh, often don't come from wealthy families. Uh, you know, I had to take out a lot of loans when I was in college, uh, and they have to work like most people who go to college. But if they're working the whole time, they aren't going to have time to do these uh, extra courses. And so the the uh, the, the TechWise program is a $5,000 stipend. Then they get 10 hours of training, but the training is in collaboration with people in private industry. So they're getting practical skills that are going to help them get a job and they get a mentor at Google, once a, one mentor uh, per student who talks to them once a month 
encourages them, talks about their, their fears, their hopes, their dreams. Uh, and this goes on for 18 months, and then they've got people who help them place uh, into jobs. And this is, Peter uh, Claver, the important thing, I think, for your listeners. You don't have to go work in my district and go be a corner at Google. If that's what you want to do, you know, great, we'll take you. But people have different talents. You may want to work in manufacturing. You may want to work in healthcare. You may want to work in retail, in journalism. The reality is all of these jobs are going to have technology as part of them. And so what we've seen with these programs is they get this tech credential. Some of them go on uh, to work in manufacturing, in retail, in healthcare, but they now can say they have a lot of technology knowledge to be successful uh, in those careers. Well, that's great, and I'm glad you got into that because, you know, uh, you said something that uh, uh, I think we need to emphasize at this moment. We, uh, you know, Silicon Valley sounds attractive. I remember when I became chair of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, over two decades ago, uh, the first thing I did was take my uh, caucus, the Congressional Black Caucus, on the technology tour. My first stop was Silicon Valley. Uh, then we went to the Northern Virginia, uh, I think technology corridor. I took them up to Wall Street. We became the biggest, at that time, uh, congressional delegation to ever visit uh, Wall Street. Uh, all of this. And um, but one of the things uh, we did not focus on uh, was what Joe Biden is focusing on and what you uh, or emphasizing, and that is uh, the community college aspect of this. Uh, next month, uh, I'm going to be getting an honorary uh, doctorate from an associate, an associate, a two-year institution. Uh, and uh, I was so honored by that, and it's all because uh, they like the idea that we have been emphasizing there's so much of what can be done uh, in this new technology uh, that we're talking about can be done without having to attend a four-year liberal arts college. You're absolutely right. That's the thing that you have been emphasizing. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm glad they're honoring you. I, I joke around with my friends that that Every prominent institution, rightfully so, in D.C. has honored Leader Clyburn at the Kennedy Center, the Forest Theater. So I, I, I'm glad that the, they are doing it as, as, as well. Uh, the, the reality is, Leader Clyburn, when you were chairing the Congressional Black Caucus 20 years ago, many of the technology jobs genuinely required PhDs, advanced math, engineering, and they were hard jobs to do, not everyone could do them. I certainly couldn't have done them. I uh, couldn't even get to enough math to become an economist. Uh, and so I've been in, in, in politics. But the point is now this technology has advanced so much that it's very simple to actually operate. And you don't need a four-year degree to get a technology job. But the reality is if you get that technology job, it often pays twice as much is you have that knowledge of how to simply move around a database or a website, and you can easily get it with a two-year or even an 18-month credential and training program. And so part of this program is to demythologize this. You don't have to be some whiz kid in math. You don't have to 
know a ton about coding, uh, you can get one of these jobs and it will really help your earning potential and you can do whatever you want. I mean, it'd be a very boring world if everyone was a software engineer. Uh, I'm glad we have artists and writers and people who make things that work with their hands. But the point is this technology, just like reading or writing, will help in whatever someone wants to do. As a gentleman writer, do you know what I think well, my listeners may have heard me uh, say something like this before, if not this exact same thing. Uh, but I often uh, talk about going uh, to a job course center uh, several years ago uh, to deliver a Black History Month speech and overhearing some students uh, discussing uh, which one of them had chosen the vocation which was most important to society. Uh, and I, uh, I tore up my little speech for that day, uh, and I started talking to the students about what I heard in the hallway. And I said to them, you know, when I stopped back to Columbia today uh, and um, some apps in my automobile, I'm not going to call a doctor. I'm going to be calling an automobile mechanic. And if I get up in the morning and turn on my water faucet and no water comes out, hey, I'm not going to call a lawyer. I'm going to be calling the plumber. And the most important person to me at that particular juncture in my life would be the, the plumber. And me with this four-year uh, degree, starting out teaching school for $3,500 a year, I wish I could make the money that my plumber made when <laughs> uh, I called him to my house. And so these are the things we want our young people to understand. You have dreams and aspirations. Uh, you want to be an electrician like your dad or your uncle. You want to be a plumber uh, or, or automobile mechanic. What it is you want to be, what we want to do is provide you with wherewithal uh, financially when we uh, must uh, and with the experience on the job training uh, when we can so that you can fulfill your dreams and aspirations. Uh, that's what this is all about. You don't need a four-year uh, degree to be an electrician. But I tell you what, no house is going to be complete without your expertise if you are an electrician, if you are a plumber, if you are a landscaper, whatever it is. Uh, that's what this is all about. So this technology is new. Uh, but as you said, Advances have been of such that uh, you can get into this field uh, without uh, having to go uh, for four years or even two years in many instances. And so I want to thank you uh, for all the work uh, you've done along the way. I want to thank you for your commitment uh, to the, these young people and your uh, emphasizing this program it's going to be on the campuses of community colleges. Uh, this is what it's all about. Now, I know I could sit here and talk about much, much more, uh, but uh, your time uh, is too valuable uh, to repeat anything, so I'm not going to be uh, uh, repeating uh, that we've, which we've gone over, but I would like for you to uh, offer some closing comments with your vision uh, for uh, building of a multiracial uh, democracy, no matter what we may talk about, 
uh, in terms of how best to make a living, there must be an environment within which all of us can feel that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, something beyond our own efforts, something that we call uh, the American dream, something that we call a great experiment in people of diverse backgrounds, uh, uh, all formed into one, something that fulfills uh, that great uh, motto of ours, E Pluribus Enum, out of many one. What's your vision uh, for uh, these young people as they make a living? How do you think they can do in helping democracy uh, continue to flourish? Well, that's a profound question, and I uh, am uh, reluctant to follow you because when you speak in our caucus about democracy and our sacred obligation to the country, uh, people are moved. Uh, they listen. You know, people are stop eating their breakfast or their food, and they listen. I can see the change. I guess I would just say two things. One, we need to provide economic opportunity to everyone. See, the students we met at Benedict or at Claflin are just as ambitious, just as bright, uh, have just as big dreams as the students that I used to teach at Stanford. The difference is, you know, my Stanford students, I used to joke, they would get funding before they had an idea because they had the right networks. They knew the right people. And that is not good even for the Stanford students, because they're missing out on a lot of the talent. And so the first thing we have to do is expand the network, expand the opportunity so that we're really taking uh, everyone having the chance to get live up to their God-given potential, to be who they are, and that helps the country. But the second thing it does at a time that we're so divided, where we're all in our own shelters, is if we start to work together, across geography, across race, uh, in these communities. We're starting to make money together. That's the essence of what a lot of people come to America for, have been in America. We're doing business together. We're improving our lives together. That, I think, starts to bring people together. And in a small way, I've seen that in this program. I mean, we were in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, and we had a rural uh, community, some of the folks who were participating, third, fourth generation Pennsylvania, one woman who really impressed me. She told me at the end, uh, she says it's a safe place because she's trans and no one in Pennsylvania batted an eye. They said, wow, that's wonderful that she's participating. And we have African-Americans in Benedict College. We had some rural folks in Iowa. We've got Asian-Americans in Silicon Valley and everyone's on the same team. Everyone's rowing in the same direction. You know, we've got to do more of that. I, I'll just end this thought, Larry Clapper. I think a lot of times people look to the president or the Congress or, or, or leaders to bring them together. And my view is, yes, obviously, I think President Biden has done almost everything humanly possible after the damage of the previous president. But I, I don't think that's just what's going to bring us together. I think it's going to be small initiatives that people take up on themselves uh, to try to reach out and make a difference. Uh, and programs like this, I think, are what really is going to help 
the country. It's not just looking to, to our leaders. Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you for that fantastic vision uh, that you have of helping me fulfill uh, my vision. I spoke to a group down in West Palm Beach, Florida on yesterday, and I said to them uh, that the billboards I put up every election year uh, with the motto that I want to see on my tombstone, uh, that he did his best uh, to make America's greatness accessible and affordable for all. That's what this is, uh, equipping our young people uh, with the wherewithal uh, to be uh, have all the greatness of this country accessible to them and affordable by them. And to me, that's what this program that you are uh, spreading all over this country is all about. And I want to thank you uh, for your efforts and thank you so much uh, for your help uh, with those two HBCUs down in my district. I want to close by reminding you uh, that there are eight HBCUs <laughs> in South Carolina, five more which are in my district. So uh, whatever you feel the need to expand uh, uh, South Carolina and the 6th Congressional District will welcome you. Thank you, Leonard Fiber. Well, it wouldn't have been possible without you because you got the HBCUs to take an interest in the program and to be flexible and to be open. I mean, it, it's not that every that this works with every HBCU, and it was your leadership and, and Jennifer, your daughter's leadership, that, that really helped with this, and we're excited to continue to partner and work together on it. Well, thank you so much, and I'll be sure to let Jennifer know uh, that I tried to take the credit, but you made sure uh, to give it back to her where it belonged. So thank you so much for being thank with us. And I, I want to thank all my listeners today. You have been uh, listening to another episode of Fireburn Chronicles. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn. Thank you.